Let's talk about this report about opiate-related deaths in teens. I'm Alex Pearson. It's great to have you here with us. And this came out on uh, Tuesday, but I think uh, it warrants some attention because the numbers are pretty surprising. And we're talking about teens and young adults and overdose deaths that have tripled now from 2014 to 2021 here in the province of Ontario. And while drug treatment rates, so you've got the overdose side and then treatment, the overdose side went up. The treatment rate came down. And we're talking about those 15 to 24. And so when you look at the first year, the first half of the pandemic, 169 deaths up from 115 the year before. Fentanyl is, uh, has been found in 94% of these cases. And who is it affecting? Well, only half the kids who died had an addiction. So it's happening to kids using occasionally. And I guess they just can't get access to help, resources, and then they lose their life. Let me bring in Dr. Alexandra Cotarella. He's the CEO of the Canadian Centre Substance Use and Addiction. Thanks so much for doc- uh, joining us, doctor. Thank you for having me. What surprised you the most about these numbers, um, y- you know, the trajectory of them? Well, the ODPRN report uh, that came out is somewhat unexpected but it's always shocking and it's just the depth of the tragedy honestly you you you, sometimes especially we're dealing with day-to-day year-to-year but it's really shocking when you look back over these 10 years since the introduction of fentanyl and you see that big of a jump in the number of people who've lost their lives yeah, I mean, that that's to me, I mean, it used to be back in our day, acid or, or I mean, I'm, I'm pretty old, but, uh, you know, and now it's fentanyl where these kids are getting in contact pretty easily with such uh, uh, dangerous, um, you know, chemicals. Having said all that, how much of the how much of the pandemic and the lockdown uh, played into this? Do you know? Well, the pandemic made all these things worse. It made it harder to access resources. It made it harder for people to really seek out the help. We obviously also know young people um, struggled during that time. They struggled in school. They struggled with their social networks. But really, it represents a pattern that has been going on for many years of going up. And so really, I think there's no excuse to blame it solely on the pandemic. This has been years and years of rising deaths and not the appropriate action to really turn it around. Right. And so the other side of this, and, and I'll, I'll turn to the National Post investigation from about a month ago that looked into to drug use. One of the things that they found was this off-market um, where you get young people um, who are getting access. So safe supplies now being sold to the drug dealers. The drug dealers are finding this whole new audience in young people who know that they can buy it really cheap for five, ten bucks a, a pop. Um, they're told it's safe supplies, so they think it's safe. Whether or not it is, they don't know, and they're taking their chances. But the drug dealers are finding these whole new audiences of really young people who are, they know all about it. Yeah, in in this particular report, very few deaths were attributed to hydromorphone. Um, However, obviously there's a concern that if hydromorphone's uh, being utilized to get people into, uh, into substance use, and, and drug use, there may be some concerns there. And I know that uh, provincial governments and governments widely are looking very closely at this because really we want to make sure that we're supporting people, but we're not making the situation worse. And, and ultimately, as in with science, 
You have to be creative in mm-hmm. difficult situations like this. You have to try things, but you have to evaluate and really adjust your models as you go along. And I'm actually kind of glad you brought up the, you know, how are people starting this part? Because one of the pieces we need to think a little bit more about is what are we doing when people are younger yeah. to try and prevent them even um, either accessing uh, or, or beginning a journey that is ultimately fatal. Yeah, because we, we, in, in my generation, yeah. it was this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. I mean, it was like the scrambled egg. Uh, that was like, the, and that's what the messaging was. But we don't really see those campaigns for younger. Smoking, for sure. Like Kids don't necessarily smoke. I, I won't touch the vaping. but So they, they have done well in certain areas. But on drugs, what kind of uh, programming is there to even deter it from starting? That's an excellent question. And I think we all remember those videos and those shocking things. And, and the unfortunate part is, those things, those say no to drugs, those scary messages, they don't really work. Yeah. The only people they scare are the people that weren't going to use drugs anyways. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons you're seeing less of that. But I think what we do know works is there's a lot of family-based, school-based, and, uh, and community-based projects that can they really focus on skill building building communication skills, helping people keep in school, kind of building all these healthy coping systems that help people kind of, if they are going to use drugs, delay it or never start um, at all. And so the effect of that can be really powerful. And I think you know, when we're looking at the time that fentanyl really came around, it's almost been 10 years yeah. we've had fentanyl in this country. If we'd started that back then, I mean, these kids were 10, 11, the ones that are dying now. And so we, we probably could have done something. So again, I think we got to zoom out a little bit, but you're right. How do we, how do we have multiple effects? We need, we need a continuum of services that's creative, that's innovative, that supports people, that's evidence-based for when they've developed these use issues. And then we need to focus a lot on trying to help make sure that, you know, people aren't ending up on a problematic path. Yeah. And it's not, uh, I think it's interesting in the study, though, it's not just addicts. I mean, it's not kids who are repeatedly, it can be the occasional user, but the one takeaway is that there's not anywhere they can go. So, Because I just, I don't think we assume that 15 and 16-year-olds are going to get addicted to drugs. You know, it's, you just kind of think that they're playing around because kids will be kids. And so the one thing that there isn't is enough treatment, but we don't have that anywhere. It's, it's We have a safe supply, we're keeping it going. But what we're not doing, and, and there's no immediacy at the federal, provincial level, and maybe the municipal, but I think it's more provincial and federal, to actually get treatments going and offering it. We just don't have the services. They're expensive. There's waiting lists. And there doesn't seem to be any urgency to make these available. And then when it comes to kids, not only making it available, but then removing the stigma so that they'll actually go to it. You're absolutely right about that stigma piece. I mean, people are scared. Suddenly, it's been so stigmatized that they're scared to tell their families about it. They're scared to actually go and um, and and seek any help if there is a problem. And and this is where we. You're absolutely right in that we need more urgency. We need way more urgency to feeling about what we're going to do. We need to understand that these youth they're they're not just you know, small adults, as we say sometimes. They're, they're, they're people that need specific resources that match their actual needs. And, and some of the work CCSA has been doing has been trying to understand a little bit more, well, how do you make treatments, medical treatments, or, um, or bed-based treatments more both appealing but also a little less scary for youth? And what kinds of things work really well? Because it, ultimately, we have to make sure that we're not being too reactionary to just what's in front of us. And we need to offer people the support. Uh, we need to involve people's families in this. We need to help, um, help them kind of 
wrap around their entire lives. So there's a, there's a whole spectrum that's needed, right? All the way from dedicated youth services from licorice prevention, treatment that really needs to be different than treatment for adults. And there are some places for this, but they're really limited. Yeah. All the way to harm reduction and specific strategies for younger people that are designed often by those young people. And there's some people doing this, um, but, but there needs to be so much more, as you're saying. We're letting this exceptionally vulnerable, exceptionally high-risk group just die. Yeah, and, and, and the reason I bring up the urgency is because, um, you know, advocates in the drug area had been warning for years, the, the opiate thing's... It's bad. It's an emergency. We need it. And that was back in 2015, and no one listened, and now it's, you know, no one knows what to do. Um, just before I let you go, doctor, were there any particular areas uh, that this was worse? Is it a big city thing, or is it a small community thing, or is it just right across the board? That's the scary part. It's that um, it, sometimes it looks like a big city issue because often that's where the advocates are, so it gets more news coverage. But we see often in smaller rural settings to be a big, big problem. And that's also where, like, if you look in the report, it's those, it's those people that are dying often alone. So if you think of the younger person in a rural place where they're already so far from any health services, um, let alone from something related to substance use, they're, they're, they're a really high risk. So we have to look at this as an everyone problem and that it can affect kind of everywhere in society. And we really need to start getting kind of creative, purpose-built situations. Ones that, like we're saying, involve families. Like often these people, when they're earlier in their trajectory, they have people that are desperately looking for help. Like you have no idea how many times as a physician I get calls from family members begging for ways that they can help their kid. And... Why not only are you not providing enough support for the youth, but we don't even have good programs often to help the parents that are so desperate. And I'll, I'll tell you one really quick anecdote before I go. I mean, there are programs, for example, that help people work with their kids, work with their family members, and significantly increase, even if that kid isn't interested, significantly increase the chances that that kid will eventually go to treatment. And so there's a lot we could be working with just with parents, just with families, just with loved ones. We're not doing any of that. Or if we are, we're doing it in a very kind of small and, and piloted way. It's really time that we scale that up significantly. Yeah, it is a, a big a flaw in government of letting these services, especially in the mental health and addiction side, just not even be addressed. Nonetheless, I appreciate your time um, explaining the numbers. I'm sure we'll have, a, sadly, another conversation again, but I do appreciate it. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me and for paying attention to this really interesting issue. I think, as you mentioned, it's not getting as much coverage as it could. I don't know if we're getting a little fatigued of this, but the reality is, I mean, each one of these is a, is a family that's just completely devastated. So really, really happy you're, you're, uh, you're paying some attention to it. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Dr. Alexandra Cotarella with the Canadian Centre Substance Use and Addiction. I, look, with my nephews, I just put the fear of God into them. I'm just the fear of God. You don't know what you're touching. You don't know what's in it. You don't know. And, and knock on wood, they're pretty good. But, you know, kids try stuff. They just don't know. And um, the, the numbers did shock me.